What's up, everybody? Keeping you all posted on OTAs. And then I got a story to tell you here on the Locked On Vikings podcast. You are Locked On Vikings, your daily Minnesota Vikings podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's going on, everybody? Welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of the Locked On Vikings podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. As always, I'm your host, your pal, and the kid you copied off in math class. My name is Luke Braun. You can find me on Twitter at LukeBraunNFL. You can find the show on Twitter at Locked On Vikings. And thank you so much for making Locked On Vikings your first listen of the day each and every day. Let's talk about OTAs, and then I'm going to do a little history, tell you a little story about the origins of the Vikings. I hope you're into that. But first, let's talk about uh, what's going on at OTAs. So far, nothing really much. They're just kind of doing their thing. OTAs are like such a light workout thing, and a lot of it's just walkthroughs and install and stuff. Um, Eric Kendrick's press conference was kind of interesting. He was out on the field, it sounded like, so he's... um, whatever, I think he like missed the first day or something. He had a delayed flight or something. I don't know. Didn't matter. He's back. Nothing to worry about. So that's nice. And then he went up in, in uh, front of the media and answered some questions about like his fit in the defense and everything. And it sounds really like the defense is kind of being put through the ringer in terms of learning to new tech uh, terminology. And, you know, I said people have flashcards out and they're all just trying to get to know new verbiage. And it's a lot of the same concepts, but you call it this and I used to call it that. And I kind of get to get rid of the old verbiage and learn the new verbiage. Um, and, and beyond that, I mean, most of these press conferences aren't going to give you too much unless there's a real question that they can answer, like an injury status or something. But even that, you know, a lot of coaches won't give you anything. But really what you can glean is that they're all pushing so hard this idea of like, hey, everybody's so excited. We're all excited to work with you to work together and all that stuff like that's what they're really, really focusing on in the media. Kevin O'Connell's focusing on that stuff, too. There is one thing that I want to talk about in a little more depth that sounds like it's coming uh, out in OTAs. I want to say Chad Graff noticed it. Somebody noticed it and then asked about it. And Kevin O'Connell's like, yeah. Uh, And then Dalvin Cook, this is a Dalvin Cook thing. Dalvin Cook has been splitting out wide more and lining up particularly in bunch formations as a receiver. This should be exciting. Everybody wants it. Everybody always wants the running back to be more involved in the pass game. I feel like we've been saying that since, I don't know, Chester Taylor, since Robert Smith. Like (laughs) We've been saying that forever about every running back, right? Get them more involved in the pass game. Ooh, maybe they can actually be a receiver and all that. And Cook tweeted a clip from last season. You might remember a very clutch play from him and Kirk in the Thursday night football game against the Steelers where they almost blew that big lead. Um... There was a third and nine that Dalvin Cook converted by running a halfback seam route. So he just ran right up the seam and kind of caught one between the safeties. And it was very much a a wide, I mean, he didn't like release off the line or anything, but it was very much a deep route. You know, this was not a screen. This wasn't a swing pass or anything. Um, And he just tweeted that clip with no context. And it's like, hmm, what does that mean, Dalvin? (laughs) Uh, But what that means is more downfield passing for the running backs. Now, 
when I did my McVay studies, when the Vikings hired O'Connell and I was like, okay, now I got to get to know the McVay offense. That was one of the things that a lot of people told me when I was asking around, like, what's the deal? They were like, yeah, using the running back as a legitimate receiver, like as a downfield receiver more often is like a thing McVay does and kind of all of McVay's ilk will, will do as well. And some of that's like wheel routes where they'll start from a halfback alignment and then like go out to the sideline and then, you know, you know, a wheel route. Um, then some of that is a like a bunch formation or splitting them as like an inline tight end or even sometimes you split the halfback out wide. CJ Ham caught a pass on this. Um, and usually when you split a running back out, you're not doing it because that guy's going to be a better receiver than a real receiver. Like, here's the deal. We all love Dalvin Cook, but somebody who has been running routes and learning how to release off the line and run routes and stuff is going to do better at beating a cornerback in coverage than a running back ever will. That's just always going to be the case. The advantage is schematic. Um, what happens, like, you kind of have to think like a defensive guy. You're trying to design a defense, and you have to tell your players, you know, when your players comes and says, okay, what if the halfback motions out to a wide alignment, and now suddenly Dalvin Cook is split out wide, and he's sitting there next to Amir Smith-Marset, who's in the slot, what do we do with that? And depending on the defense, what would you say, right? Well, if it's a man defense, linebacker just follow him out there. If it's a zone defense, um, you know, then we'll just still play it off like a regular zone. We don't really know what he's doing, and we'll just, you know, he's now the the number one receiver, he's now the two, or wherever he ends up lining up, and just treat it like normal, um, and nothing changes. And so, back to the offensive perspective, if the linebacker comes with him, it's a man, and if he doesn't, it's a zone. Then that's like an indicator, right? And so what the Vikings did a lot last year is they would split Dalvin Cook out wide, see what the defense did, then motion him back into a halfback alignment and run a normal play from there, um, as you know, assuming they had the time on the play clock to do all that. And they would just do it as like an information gathering thing. And a lot of teams will do that. But what's nice out of a bunch, if you have a guy like Dalvin cook, and I think, I mean, Dalvin cook has the athletic ability for sure to go be a wide receiver, be a genuine receiving threat. And he can make guys miss in space and all that stuff. Great. We've got all that. That's all excellent. What's nice about that is that it can force some mismatches, especially from a bunch. And this is why McVay loves to do this. Um, if you think about a bunch and you've got three guys and one of them's Dalvin Cook, and let's say the other two are Thielen and Jefferson, as a defense, most defenses have a way of dealing with that. They'll either just man up, right, and they'll just say, wherever Dalvin Cook goes, you just follow him. You put a linebacker on him, and then that's fine. Um, but a lot of times, you'll have, you know, corner-corner linebacker to match receiver-receiver running back, and then you'll do something, I know it as banjoing, which uh, is basically in and out. Um, so you'll have one guy says, I'll just take the first guy who cuts to the outside and you take the first guy who cuts to the inside. And then we have someone behind the two of us who will take whoever goes the deepest. So first in cut is handled, first out cut is handled and whatever else happens is handled. Um, and that's banjoing. And there are a lot of variants of that. And I could get way into the weeds with you on that. But what you can do is if you can manipulate that banjo, if you can look at um, you know, film study and say, okay, let's find me all of the bunch. This is what a QC coach does. Cut all the times that there was a bunch formation. And then you go, okay, when there's a bunch formation, that corner tends to take the first outcut. So let's have Dalvin Cook be the first outcut. And now that, let's say that's Jair Alexander, right? Now suddenly Jair Alexander is in man coverage against Dalvin Cook. 
and they now are using Jair Alexander on the running back, and we have Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen run on other routes. And Jair Alexander can't go up against Justin. It's, it's a way to get your best players away from their best players and to create mismatches. Um, in short, yeah, a way to create mismatches. But the way that works, I think it's kind of cool to just like really think through like the exact mechanics of how it works. Um, and specifically every team, every defense is going to have its way to deal with a bunch formation. They'll have their bunch calls. And if you know what those are, go watch film, figure out what those are, and then come back and say, okay, they typically do it this way. Let's run a route concept that forces their rules to put them in a mismatch. We're going to bring a linebacker into that, that banjo. And suddenly one of that linebacker is going to be up against Justin Jefferson. And suddenly we got Jefferson on a linebacker. That should be a huge play. And that's the opportunity you're trying to create. But to make that happen, he needs to be good enough to at least be a credible threat as a receiver. And I think Dalvin Cook is that. So that's awesome. It's a, it's a great thing. And it's something McVeigh has used and all of his little minions have used to great effect. Um, and uh, yeah, that's awesome. And, and this is not, by the way, not the first time Delvin Cook will have split out wide and run a route like that. I remember he actually dusted a corner on a slant once and uh, almost got the pass, but it was a sack or something like that. So like, this is not, everybody does this a little bit, but it's a very, McVay loves this stuff. And so I'm not surprised to see Kevin O'Connell do it. Switching gears, holy, <laughs> we're going way to something different. I want to tell you a story that I've been very excited to tell you on this show for a long time, and it is about the origin of the Vikings. If you follow Locked on Vikings on Twitter, you've already seen some of the little tidbits, um, and depending on uh, how much you've seen in me on Twitter or Discord or whatever, you might know some of this part of the story. But if you don't know how the Vikings came to be, how football came to Minnesota, stick around because it's a doozy. It is dramatic. <laughs> so stick around for that. First things first. Let's talk about Built Bar, specifically Built Puffs, which is Built Bar. It's a protein bar, all covered in 100% chocolate, delicious, high in protein, low calorie, low sugar. They, you, you can eat all right and not feel like crap about it, and it's not going to knock you off the wagon. But their Built Puffs is what's really getting me nowadays. That's a marshmallowy kind. It's like they aerate it more or something. It's light, and it's fluffy, and it's delicious. And now they have their brownie batter puffs that taste like what you lick off the spoon when you're making brownies and you can't have the whole bowl because you'll feel sick. And that is exactly like the emotion that they have captured <laughs> with, with built brownie batter puffs. It's awesome. You can still get all of their regular series flavors. If you're not into the puffs, you can get chocolate caramel and chocolate raspberry and all that stuff too. Whatever it is, go to built.com, enter promo code LOCKED15 at checkout. That's L-O-C-K-E-D-1-5 at checkout and you can get 15% off of your order. That's promo code LOCKED15 at built.com. Thanks so much for making Lockdown Vikings your first listen of the day, each and every day, as this is a daily podcast uh, year-round, and not a lot is going to go on, especially after OTAs. I am doing the Storytime series, where I tell you stories about stuff related to the Vikings. Uh, some of this will be backstories of current players. Some of it will be like what we're going to do today, where we talk about the history of the team, which I haven't done a lot of on Lockdown Vikings, and I'm very excited to share all that stuff with you. Today, I want to go all the way back to the beginning to the origin of the Vikings, how football came to Minnesota. Now, football was in Minnesota, like, well before the NFL was a thing. Um, like, very, very early days, I mean, early 20th century. Um, the main team, I would say, the most popular team in Minnesota, would probably be the Duluth Eskimos who were a member of some smaller leagues and they would play like exhibition games and stuff. And pro football wasn't quite as organized then, but that was a team that you can actually like look up their win losses. Um, they were owned by a guy named Ole Hogsrud, 
who would actually end up having a pivotal role in some of the development of the Vikings. Keep that name and that team in mind. But for now, let me fast forward to 1959, which is where the first inklings of football coming in Minnesota would happen. And it really starts with, of all people, Sid Hartman of the Star Tribune. You know, the guy, Sid Hartman, the, the reporter. Um, he really, and he was covering sports, and he really, really, really wanted football to come to Minnesota in 1959. He wanted to make it happen. And so he would call all that. And he was connected like any, you know, salt-of-the-earth journalist would be. He knows everybody. He's got everybody's number. And he called around all the time to see who maybe he could get to coax to come to Minnesota. Hey, you know, Minnesota's a great market. We've got great people here. They're fans. They're excited. They would totally come to games. And on one of these calls, he gets a bite from Walter Wolfner, who owned the then Chicago Cardinals. And the Chicago Bears were sort of the blue-blooded organization at the time. They were the Patriots in the 40s and 50s. They were, this was George Hallis's heyday. You know, they were everything. And... Walter Wolfner, the other team in Chicago, I mean, it was very much like a, a Los Angeles Clippers situation or a New York Mets situation. Like, they were very clearly second fiddle. And he was sick of that. He wanted, it, it was bad for business and it was bad for just the legacy of the team and all that. And so he was toying with the idea of moving around. Now, this wasn't public at all in 1959. And Wolfner would move the Cardinals to St. Louis a couple years from now. But that wasn't really known. It was just Sid Hartman kind of calling around and Walter Wolfner knew that Sid Hartman, knew this about Sid Hartman, called Sid and said, hey, I'm having some thoughts about moving the team. So why don't we do this? If you and your buddies can pull together, I think they ended up negotiating it to $240,000, I'll sell you a couple of Cardinals games. And you can host a couple of Cardinals games at the Met where the Twins play. If those games do enough to like turn a profit, you know, congratulations one, and for two, we'll know the market is real and then we'll, we'll get into deeper talks. And so that's what they did. Sid Hartman called all of his buddies, including Max Winter, who would end up being the principal owner of the Vikings for a, for a long time. Um, his editor, Charlie Johnson, got in on it. H.P. Uh, Scoglin, all these guys. Sid Hartman called like all his rich friends and said, can we pool together $240,000 and, and maybe we can get a football team here. Um, so they do that. They play two Chicago Cardinals games in the Mets. These would be the first two NFL games ever to be played in Minnesota, and they weren't Vikings games because the Vikings weren't there yet. This is two years before the Vikings launched. Um, it was Cardinals-Giants and Cardinals-Eagles. Um, and they did okay. They didn't sell out the Met all the way, but they both sold over 20,000 seats, and that was good enough. So everybody in all of NFL brass then knew, okay, football in Minneapolis is viable. And they saw it as a viable market. That basically set off this next chain of events that, I mean, really, the, at the time, the odds-on favorite outcome would be that Walter Wolfner would take the Cardinals and move them, move them to Minnesota. So there was a moment where the most likely thing would be Minnesota Cardinals, and we'd all be saying, go birds, go Cardinals, and my YouTube background would be a bunch of red stuff, and go Cardinals. But we didn't get there, and the reason that we didn't get there involves a whole bunch of pettiness and spite and billionaire drama, um, and I'm very excited to tell you about all of it. Uh, but first, let me talk to you about a good old gramble. Bet Online is the place to find all of your grambles. Look, I'm, I'm just going to keep extending this challenge if you missed it. I bet under 8.5 wins for the Vikings. I don't, it's a transition year. I don't have that high of expectations for them, and I don't think that they'll get a winning record. If you disagree with me, that's perfectly valid. And what I want you to do is go to Bet Online, 
bet a unit or two on that, whatever you're comfortable wagering, on over eight and a half wins for the Vikings. And if you're right, send me a screenshot of your winning ticket. If the Vikings get a winning record, I want to be flooded with screenshots. I will deserve it. And I want you to just roast the hell out of me. All right? So I'll go to bet online, bet on the Vikings over, or on the Vikings under if you agree with me. You can also bet on whatever, right? Basketball, baseball, hockey, um, tennis, golf, MMA, whatever. You can also even play your favorite Vegas casino game. So head on over to betonline.net. Get your over 8.5 win ticket in and get ready to shoot me down with screenshots if they win a ninth game. That's Bet Online, where the game starts. If it weren't for the American Football League, of all things, we would probably be rooting for the Minnesota Cardinals instead of the Minnesota Vikings. Um, we would be in probably following their trajectory a little bit more rather than the trajectory of an expansion team and, and kind of the path that that set us on. It would be a lot different. And it was actually almost Minnesota Raiders, too. We'll get there. But the AFL was founded by Lamar Hunt, who was turned away by the NFL a lot. Now, the NFL was very, very closed-doored back in those days. Still is. If you wanted to be in the exclusive ownership group, you kind of couldn't. They had a good thing going. They had their little group of people, their, their Wellington Maras and their Art Rooney's and their whatevers. And all those guys were happy to kind of be their own little boys club and nobody else was allowed in. But there were a lot of rich people that wanted football, including oil tycoon Lamar Hunt, who wanted football in Texas, in Dallas, Texas. And he petitioned for expansion. He was turned down. He tried to buy the Lions. They said no. He tried to buy the Cardinals from Walter Wolfner when he heard that Wolfner wanted out of Chicago. And Wolfner's like, I'm just trying to move the team. I'm not trying to sell it right now. So he got turned away at every turn. And he wasn't the only one. There was Bud Adams. There were all these guys that were getting turned away by the NFL. And so he Lamar Hunt said, okay, we actually have enough people with the money to actually found and start a team, enough startup capital, we can make a league. And so that's what the AFL was. One of the people that Lamar Hunt called was Max Winter and his ownership group saying, hey, you've got a market and we actually want in. Why wait for Walter Wolfner to make up his mind about moving the team to Minnesota or if he's going to move it at all or whatever, when you could just have your own team here and we'll just start our own league and you can have your own team. And they said, that's a good deal. Let's do it. You know, bird in hands worth two in the bush. Let's take it. So they got all the way through developing the new league, all the way up to the first AFL draft, which was hosted in Minneapolis. And during like, I'm pretty sure it was like that weekend, George Hallis came a calling. The NFL got real nervous when the AFL when they realized the AFL was going to be a league. And the AFL and NFL hated each other for, for basically the entire existence of the AFL before the merger. And the merger was, like, not peaceful. And after being super, super resistant to the idea of expansion, the NFL just thought, like, well, we've got our thing, we've got our, our teams, and we're not going to expand at all. Suddenly, they were open to the idea of expansion. <laughs> and to get those expansion teams, they were going to try to poach away organizations that had said yes to the AFL. Essentially, they wanted to steal two AFL teams and make the AFL collapse as a result. Um, Everybody turned them away. I mean, this is all very bitter, right? This is like your mortal enemy. This is Darth Vader asking Luke Skywalker to join him. Like, of course not. Unless you're Max Winter and the Minnesota Vikings who said yes and ditched the AFL at the last second. And so that is what made the Vikings an NFL expansion team. The Vikings drafted a roster, and that roster was awarded to Oakland, and it became the Oakland Raiders. So you're welcome, Raiders. You, we drafted, we started you. <laughs> so that basically gave the Vikings a year to put together their team. And to do that, 
they needed to find somebody that could kind of build that from the ground up. And they turned to Burt Rose, who was a PR guy for the LA Rams. Um, and he would serve as kind of president of operations, but also GM. And Burt Rose's contribution to the team, he was only GM for like three years before he stepped down. And Jim Finks, who's in the Ring of Honor, everybody knows him. Uh, Jim Finks took over and really built the dynasty that we know as those old vintage, like 70s Vikings. Burt Rose was only there for the first couple of like expansion years where they won two or three games a year. Um, but he was the one who came up with the name Minnesota Vikings. And Minnesota Vikings was sort of a no-brainer. There were already high school teams that were the Vikings. Minnesota's a very Scandinavian place. You know, winter, Norsemen, that whole vibe was like real. Vikings was a no-brainer. Everybody slammed it immediately. The color of purple was interesting. Uh, depending on who you ask, that could be a couple different people's ideas. If you ask the living sons of Burt Rose, who came up with the idea of purple, they'll say, my dad did. My dad, Burt, came up with the idea of purple. Burt Rose was a University of Washington alum, so he always had a soft spot for purple. And PR branding guy that he was, he also understood, hey, there's not a purple team yet, and we could stand out and be the purple team, so let's pick purple. And they even have, like, a, a correspondence or two that, that could be, like, proof of it. However, remember uh, Ole Hogsrud. When Max Winter and his friends were awarded an NFL franchise, in comes Ole Hogsrud, who actually says, look, I made this weird deal years and years ago that basically says, if ever there is a professional football team in the state of Minnesota, I own 10% of that team. And he actually got away with this. I'm not fuzzy on how that worked, but it had something to do with, with, his, with the Eskimos and like something to do with like correspondence with, with the state or other like organizations and stuff. So I, I don't really know how it works. Um, and I don't have the historical resources to like find that. But this dude just like randomly owned 10% of the Vikings. And that meant that he got like a, a say in certain things, like what their name would be, what their uh, vibe would be, right? Their colors and stuff. And so he says... I chose purple and white because that was the Duluth, Duluth Eskimos color. They were a purple and white team with yellow accents, I think. Um, or at least they were purple and white and maybe the yellow accents were added. But either way, he's like, that's me. And if you ask his living kin, they're like, yeah, no, my dad did it. So it is something that is still not agreed upon and even a little spicy of like why the Vikings are purple. Everything about this story has drama in it. And it's why I'm so excited to tell it all to you. Um, the last thing he had to do was build an aesthetic. And for that, he hired an, a cartoonist in the Los Angeles era, that area that he knew named Kurt Hubenthal. Um, and he drew everything. He drew basically what the original logo would be. Um, if you go look up like on pro football reference, the old Vikings logo, it's a little stretched out and that's just a problem with their website. But if you like unstretch it, it's exactly the logo. Like that logo has not changed that whole time. And so it's still that original guy just like drew a Viking and that's what the logo still is. He was the one that came up with the idea of putting horns on the helmets. He was the one that came up with the original jersey design, which we've never really departed that far from. The furthest the Vikings have got was the, the side-striped uniforms of 2006 to 2012. Um, and even that still was like pretty much a similar vibe. It was nothing like, you know, when the, when Tampa Bay decided to ditch the creamsicle, like it's always been the same DNA. So Carl Hubenthal like had 
a, an aesthetic for the Vikings in mind, and he drew something absolutely eternal. And you can still see all of his old drawings and stuff. They're, they're on display at U.S. Bank Stadium. Um, they were donated, I want to say, in like 1998. Um, and so you can still see all of those old drawings and stuff if you get to a game early enough. But that is essentially where we go. And then Burt Rose hired the quarterback from the L.A. Rams when he was there, was Norm Van Brocklin, and he was now retired and looking to coach. So he had a friend, Burt Rose, called him up. There it was. And that began. We did an expansion draft. We figured it out. You know, they traded for Jim Marshall and all that stuff. And the Vikings had a team, and then off we go. Um, the, the story of that origin, though, it's like, how many enemies did they make along the way, right? They, they made enemies with Lamar Hunt, which made Super Bowl four very charged. They made um, weird enemies with the Eagles for stealing Norm Van Brocklin away from them. Norm Van Brocklin had agreed to kind of be coach of the Eagles, and then that sort of fell out, and then he went over to the Vikings, and now there was beef there. Um, there was beef with the Bears after the preseason. If you go listen to my schedule analysis episode um, with rivalry games and stuff, you can go hear about that story. The Vikings had a lot of beef before anything ever started. They kind of had this weird rivalry with Dallas that really got intense in the playoffs and the, the original Hail Mary and the push-off and all that stuff. But really, the Vikings and Cowboys kind of came into the league together. But the Cowboys were given precedence over the Vikings because the NFL had to get their Dallas team in to spite Lamar Hunt, who started the Dallas Texans, and Dallas was where he wanted football, and he begged the NFL to expand the, to them, and then they were like, nah, never, we won't do that, and then as soon as he starts his new league, they're like, hmm, what about a team in Dallas? And that became the Cowboys, and the Dallas Texans had to move to Kansas City, and they became the Chiefs. Um, that is a whole, like the AFL NFL rivalry stuff is fascinating and it's petty and it's so messy and I love it. Um, that is all though. I think a story for another day. I will talk to you all tomorrow. We'll keep you updated on OTAs and stuff. Um, oh gosh, if I'm a good boy, I could, uh, watch a Caleb Evans, but it's probably going to be next week. We'll figure it out. We'll talk about something. I'll see y'all tomorrow. And as always, skull.